Dan Root is the VP of Marketing at LeadIQ. After a recent webinar that he and his team led where they compared using ChatGPT and their new standalone product, Scribe, to see which was better for assisting in writing cold outbound emails, I knew I had to have Dan on to talk about generative AI in sales. During our interview, Dan helped put some important context to the discussion with advice on how to use storytelling structure to improve the effectiveness of our messaging and how we do discovery. While I had Dan, I took the opportunity to pick his brain on what's working at LeadIQ. They're a successful company, so I wanted to take the opportunity to take a peek into how it is that they're doing more with less. So tell us about your origin story, if you can. Um, I know we're not big on, you know, let's talk through the, the the resume and what's available on on LinkedIn. So tell me how you got to where you are without mentioning your resume and LinkedIn. I'm relieved by that question because I get very bored when I have to start listing what have I been doing the last 20 years? Um, so... I got into software in an auspicious way. Maybe I was an acting major in college um, and a music minor, which of course gave me all the skills to get into software, of course. Um, and uh, I got a lucky break in early in my career to get a contract job at Microsoft, which was the first. Oh, wow. um, um, and I know I'm not supposed to talk about my resume, but it was auspicious because when I went to Microsoft um, as a seller, um, I literally had to have a, a, a more seasoned veteran sit me down and whiteboard what's the difference between a hard hardware and software, an operating system, um, things like that. So I started out just the first half of my career in sales. The, the great transition for me was I was working for a, a, a company and I was getting really frustrated with the, the kind of corporatized messaging that we were using to present and sell. And so I... I rebelled slightly and produced my own content and tried to to put it in more of a, a story form, something that I would relate more to. And it ended up successful and it ended up our, our VP of sales at Expedia had me um, train the entire sales team on doing a different method. And shortly thereafter, I realized what I really loved about sales was not particularly the selling, it was the persuasion. And in in having product truth mixed in a, a a clear, concise way to gain understanding and ultimately to win, right? And so that's what led me into marketing and and where I've been for the last nine years, nine ten years has been in marketing, predominantly in product marketing. Even though I'm leading marketing now, mm -hmm. um, product and content, and it's that journey is still the same for me. It's trying to figure out the the story that is framed in a way that helps a customer achieve the thing that they're trying to achieve and certainly beat our competition is, is always fun too. Yeah, good. But good. I, I, I like the storytelling and by that, I mean the principles of story, not a romantic version. I like the principles of storytelling is, is I'm, I'm deeply passionate about that and try to get better every day. Well, where does the acting and the music fall into your your life now i imagine the storytelling is part of that but i mean are, do you play an instrument uh do you do acting on the side or is that still part of your life at all or have you just left that behind in school i i am not ashamed to say i i don't think i was a particularly good actor um i was a i was a really good singer my, my whole family was like the von trapp family of like we had my parents called it family time as a okay. child and every thursday we would sit around the piano and my three brother, or my two brothers, and I, and my mom and dad would be singing five part harmony around the piano. Of, I love of, of, And so, look, as a kid, I didn't like it. I was like, oh, I'm so bored. But as an adult, I'm like, it almost makes me cry. I'm like, that's a cool, unique memory. Um, so to answer your question, the the most I do with 
uh, uh, music is I do have a piano and I will jump out of uh, in between meetings sometimes and go play and sing just to de-stress or play at night. Um, but I'm, I, I enjoy it, but it's just a total hobby, which, but I will say one thing that I, I have thought about a lot to turn it back to story was one of the things I hated about piano. I wasn't good at it at all as a kid. And I would, I would look at my mom and she was a really good piano player and I would see all the notes. Mm-hmm. And when, when I saw that, I, I saw individualized notes. I had no idea how she was able to see five, six, seven notes at a time and play a score. And it wasn't until I was much older that I realized she wasn't seeing the notes. She was seeing structure. And that is what paralleled me when it came to storytelling in a corporate environment is that there is a structure to persuasion. There's a structure to storytelling. There's a way that our brains interpret information. And I've always loved that parallel the last 10 years to think about music and, and story are very similar in that they're, 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 they have a lot of objective qualities to them. And if you get the qualities right, you're never always going to get it right. But if you get the structure of a message right or the structure of a story or the structure of an outbound message, um, it, it helps the user to receive it, consume it, and be emotionally um, affected by it. And I think that's, I think it's kind of cool. Absolutely. And we, we talk about sales being in this emotional or buying being an emotional process, I should say, and how people make that decision. So the storytelling connects directly into how a buyer wants to buy and that that emotional connection they want to the process. But what are some of those principles? What are some of those core objectives? Uh, you know, bring it down to 10,000 feet for, for our listeners. So I, I would shamelessly steal this. Uh, I, I'm certified with a company called Story Brand. And you see a lot of parallels in story structure methodologies, even if you look at like challenger sale and a lot of the data that went behind the structure of how you construct a message. But the the thing that has helped guide my thinking, and I, and I, I dare to say the teams that I've worked with, it's more the in, internalizing the, the, the understanding the roles of a story. So in a, in a, a story is in one sentence, a story is about a character who wants something and has to overcome conflict to get it. So if you have a story, you have to have a hero and they are on a journey and they and it's not a good story if I don't have to overcome a conflict. So it'd be like I go to a movie and you know there's a, a person who wants to, you know, to to make it to the top of of a professional sport. He goes to college, is number one, goes to professional, he's number one, and the story ends. You're like, that was a terrible story. Right. So you have to introduce conflict in that. So if you think about from a selling standpoint or a marketing standpoint, a story has to have a hero. A story has to have a villain, of course, something to overcome. And a story has to have a guide. And the guide is the most important part of the story. So if you position your customer, to say this sounds cliche, but if you're positioning your customer as the hero, and by that, I don't mean they're Superman. I mean, they're a character. They are the person on their journey and they need something. And that gets conflated a lot of times in sales and in marketing. We end up, can't, we cannot resist the temptation to become another hero. We want right, well, to be the hero. The salesperson we, wants to be the hero. Right? All of us want to be the hero so desperately <laughs> that it um, undermines the, the whole character development of like when you're talking to someone. So if I know that the hero has to overcome an objective, both for themselves and for their company, 
And then if I'm identifying, obviously, what's the villain? What is the villain? And and when you look at that in terms of a, a, from a seller standpoint or a marketer standpoint, the there's three main characteristics of a problem. And we usually get number one right, and we usually don't get number two or three right. Number one is a the problem that a, that a customer has, or the hero in this case has, is they have an external problem. And that's pretty easy because they usually tell you that, right? Right. It's but, in the first episode, we, we learned the, that problem, right? We learn about that problem. And, and a lot of times we miss the part that to make the story more effective, you've got to get to the second, which is you have the, the customer has an internal problem, which is simply how does that external problem make them feel? Hmm. How does that make their company feel? And then third, you have a philosophical problem. And that's where the guide comes in. The philosophical problem is we don't think the world should be this way. So I'll give you a dumb example, but it might work. We'll see. Um, if I, I just bought a home about six months ago, cause we wanted to be closer to our, our kids' school right. and I'm in a new home. And so I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to need help to somebody to help mow the lawn. So what's my external problem? Obviously I need, I need to cut the grass. Cool. Well, what, what might be my internal problem? Well, I'm new in the neighborhood. I don't want my neighbors to think poorly of me because I have an unkempt lawn. Right. And then the philosophical problem would be where you might come in to go, hey, Dan, like we believe it should be easy to get your lawn mode in a timely way with a quality way. So there's that transition of I've got a problem. It's external. Cut the grass. Internal problem. I My status might be affected. How I feel or my about rep- that problem. How I feel about it. And it could be my job. I mean, I'll hear this when I listen to calls with our sellers to customers, even at Lead IQ. Mm-hmm. I was listening to one the other day. I, I was actually on the call. And the the sell or the customer said specifically, they said, okay, this is our external problem. And he said, they said, he said, listen, I'm not ashamed to say I, my reputation matters to me, and if I can hit this emerging market, it, like I it, I feel this, and I'm I'm like pinging the seller on the side, go, that's that's an internal problem, like like take that and be and be readdressing that that you're hitting their external problem and their internal problem, and then when in our case when Lead IQ comes in. We go philosophically it should not be this way. And we we think we can help with this problem because we've identified that. Long-winded way to say you got a hero, they're on a journey to overcome a conflict. You have a villain, which is the customer's problem. It's external, it's internal. And then when you come in as Obi-Wan Kenobi or Hamish or Gandalf, or you know, pick your 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 guide, <laughs> yeah. the, the guide is the most powerful character in the story because the without the guide, the hero can't gain the magic gifts right, to overcome right. so you develop their their powers and th- th- so right. Forth, right and you get sellers and or just companies in general that mm. really get uncomfortable going i'm not the hero of the story i'm the guy but you go no but look man obi-wan was pretty powerful like gandalf yeah, without gandalf cool frodo wouldn't know yeah. how to go throw that ring into the into you know mount doom or whatever it was and so the guide has some three really practical roles and i think for any seller it's a it's good it's a very good thing to think about if you are the guide you have to show empathy because that's where your empathy attaches to their internal problem all of a sudden we're on an emotional level and a rational level so you have to have empathy but empathy is ruinous if it doesn't also come with authority and a plan so okay. the authority is me going i've i've been on this journey that you are going on like I understand it's hard. That's my empathy. Yeah. I've been on this journey and this is how through my plan that I can help. 
This is how we can help. And that psychologically for a customer, especially you want that to be true, of course, but if you can show that you connect with empathy to the internal problem that they have and even the external problem, but then if, if you don't have the plan to simplify it and show the authority that that's where you can say, Hey, I've actually, I've, I'm Yoda. I've been a, a Jedi for 900 years. I'm going, Oh, cool. I think I should learn from you. That's, that's, that's good. Um, so story, you know, you have a storytelling principle, but it's very pragmatic. It's very pragmatic. If you just, so when I'm thinking about writing content or speaking to customers or, you know, speaking at events or whatever it is, you're just trying to think about, um, I'm just framing yeah. a message up. And with that, you can go a, a thousand directions. There's no perfect formula and, and all of us mess it up, but you're just looking for clarity. Let me, let me pick apart the internal problem real quick though. So the, the internal problem you said is one that we almost always miss. And the third part being the philosophical part of it, but you don't have the philosophical, you can't really, that doesn't connect well. You don't get that linkage if you don't get that internal problem. And it's about feeling. So talk about the level of like interaction you need to have with a prospect in order to get to that level. Because if I'm going outbound, then I'm going to uh, elude or maybe interject what we believe other people are feeling that are like them. And maybe that's going to help trigger it. But if I'm doing discovery, right, and if I'm not at a, a collaborative level with that prospect, it's really hard to get how they're feeling about this, right? Or is there are there certain techniques that you're using within your team to really get, you know, turn the corner on that internal problem because it's, it could be nebulous, I would think. Right. So uh, gosh, this is a really good question. I think the first, the first thing I I try to challenge teams with is um, why are you so uncomfortable trying to talk about the problem in the first place? Because what I find is really interesting in software companies, for whatever reason, the, the the tilt, even if I know the external problem, there is there is a real bend toward just solutioning right. and not talking about the problem. So I think the first thing you have to you have to as a company maybe risk is can you be explicit when you're speaking with the customer about the problem? So if like take and I know it's an older reference, I just I, I still adore it. If you look at Challenger Sale mm -hmm. in the in the data discovered that they did, if you your goal is to either amplify a realized problem, but maybe it's under-realized, or to identify a problem that I didn't even know exists. The moment you do that, just the action of actually taking the risk to say, oh, you, yeah, you say you have this problem. Your problem's way bigger. Let me explain why, blah, blah, blah. Or you think your problem is this. I have to tell you, I think your problem is actually something over here. Just that alone Woo, is difficult because you feel like, how are they going to feel about that? So that's one is like, you have to come as a company to go to risk talking about a problem in the first place in, a, in, in explicit or specific terms. Um, I'm lucky on the marketing side now is in that I was literally on a call this morning with a digital leader at a different company. And they were just speaking about how, when you're doing, you know, when you're helping to support SDR teams to do outbound, um, you have to generalize. So even if we're going to specific accounts, right. I don't know, you know, Derek's story versus Dan's story. And so for marketing, it's a, a tiny bit easier because we have to say, okay, we're all going to the same movie theater to see the same movie. So we have to have a shared interest. We have to identify what that shared interest is in and share problem. And then for sellers, to me, I, and I've talked about this a lot with sellers, the it is, a, you have to know yourself. Like for me, I'm a very self-deprecating person. 
like, and I've realized I don't mean to do it, but sometimes I do it as a strategy, like where I don't take myself particularly seriously and I take the work really seriously, but I make fun of myself all the time. And it ends up inviting people to make fun of me. And, and I like that. Like it makes me know, okay, we, way, we trust way more each approachable other. when you're that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, I know, okay, now I trust you because you're making fun of me. That's, that's awesome. Um, so I know when I'm talking to a customer, I'm just pretty direct about like, if I was in that situation, I would be like, am I going to get fired for not hitting? Like, that's me. So I think you have to figure out each seller has to one, identify that it needs to happen Two, nothing's worse than artifice. And if a customer is realizes you're trying to break the mold. I know we say that a lot, but if I get on a discovery call with somebody selling me something, they're like, even if they're trying to get to my emotion, right. how does that feel? Oh, I mean, I'm not like, you know. yeah, how's it making you feel? But like versus being specific to go, okay, you've spoken about this. This must be taking a toll on your company in this way or this way or this way. Now, another thing you can do, which is really brilliant that I, I'm, I'm stealing from a colleague is sometimes the seller should intentionally, this is going to be controversial, maybe sometimes the seller should miss, should intentionally misidentify a problem. So they get corrected to say, no, no, that's not the problem. This is the problem. Correct. And it's, it's a great, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it's deceptive, but I think it's, I think it's interesting to experiment with because what is the goal? The goal is to get them to communicate with you. And sometimes by either general, not generalizing, but being specific, but specifically uh, identifying the wrong problem will actually help the sell will help the customer to go to think about that go no 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 that's not the real problem it's this and it's so helpful to you as a seller to go okay now i'm getting them talking to and, and, and they're identifying the them. problem themselves and supposed to you saying coming here saying this is your problem right Correct. and getting and, and trying to get validation as opposed to getting them to discover it and then here okay well great now that we you've shared your problem maybe we can you know diagnose right. a solution and it breaks but them like- out of their mold because it, like if i get on a discovery call i always go in with a complete stereotype of how this call is going to go and the information you're going to want and anything that you can do to, um, to, to break those patterns, to try to get into a real conversation. I know it's not, again, it's not a science. It's just, um, you've got to know yourself enough to know how, how do I interact with my family, my friends? How do I make them laugh? How do I get them to relax? And then how do I apply that when I'm talking to a stranger, your own style right? is sell, sell like you as Jeff Bajorek yeah. says. Yeah. I got a, I got a LinkedIn, uh, I got an SDR message yesterday from a, uh, I think an SDR, but it was fascinating because it was, uh, it was, um, uh, it had no profile name. So I didn't know who the message was from. And it said something about wanting to connect with me because of my professional network. And then at the end it said, would you be willing to be friends? And it was a horrible CTA in some ways, but at the same time, I paused and pondered that whole whole message while my oil was getting changed <laughs> on a sat on a Sunday, and going, uh, "That was fascinating." You were asking me to be your friend, like that's interesting. <laughs> so at least it's well, not good because all the other things were messed up about. It. I didn't, you know, but that's interesting. Like that's gonna start it, popping up in everybody's inbox. Now I'm telling now. it to you on a podcast about a message I got from an unknown yeah. person selling an unknown thing, but they asked me if I wanted to be friends. I was like, I, I don't know. How are you doing? It's like, are you affected by COVID? Are you lonely? Like, do you need help? Like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Uh, it's hilarious. Well, hey, uh, they say be creative, you know, and uh, <laughs> it was creative. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It, every guide is trying to be a friend to every hero. So there you go. But a friend with authority and the ability to push you into action. Yes. Oh, there you go. There you go. A good friend. That's the a difference. Good friend. A, friend exactly. a good friend. A good friend. Yeah.
Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like Obi Wan saying, "Look, dude," or Yoda saying, "You're gonna have to go kill your dad if you want to become a Jedi." Like that's that's a tough tough love from a friend. <laughs> he he wants to the best out of you. Got it. That's the thing it. with the the internal problem, I, I would say for those who are listening, I definitely like the tactic of agitation statements too, because things like that can get people to expose the feeling associated with it. That sucks, right? That's got to be terrible. I mean, is that really how you you know like when you lean in and make statements that um try and i don't know couple yourself with their pain and um i don't say like commiserate but that's kind of where you, what you're doing a little bit and get them to yeah yeah that's and this is why it sucks that's why that problem has internal or issues. i've seen this i i've seen this with another customer this is how it affected them is that does that resonate with you like they, they like felt you said, this like, way they this yeah. is how, you know in, in his role he was a VP of marketing and you know his job was on the line and he was worried about that is that kind of the stuff that you're you're facing as well getting into the internal problem because I think that's like to your point it's real tough to make that switch right but I want to make a switch on you and okay. I you know wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't take the opportunity to learn about what's working at lead IQ from a revenue generation standpoint so you know stepping away from a storytelling framework for just a moment which was great a lot of good stuff there um, in this podcast, what we try to do is underscore, you know, what's working out there. Consultants go from organization to organization, trying to solve problem after problem. And if we don't have an input on like what's working out in the marketplace and what's effective, then, you know, our, I don't know, our advice, if you will, might kind of uh, depreciate. So this is my way of staying fresh. What's working with a, a company that's growing Lead IQ is having success, and we've talked offline about a couple of different things. The first thing I hope you can share with the audience is this transition that Lead IQ made from remote work mm -hmm. to having your SDRs specifically. I think it's just your SDRs. I don't know if it's, mm -hmm. I don't think it's everybody, just your SDRs are now in Denver in a, in a hybrid model. So there's uh, days of the week where they they are remote, but generally speaking, the Denver is home base. So we've got away from the, you know, you know, across the United States, everybody's remote to th this hybrid model. Did, it, has that worked for you uh, in making that transition? Yeah. So without all the, the details, the, um, the, the short version is we were seeing that for us at least, and I think there's companies who do remote SDR work fantastic. And, and, but for us, we were finding that um, from both an accountability standpoint, a coaching standpoint, um, we had uh, SDRs that were scattered all over the country. And so we did end up choosing to move everyone to a central location just for the SDR team in Denver. And it, the the short story is that it has been a complete, um, it's it's been a massive improvement. And, and so we have gone to a hybrid model where we have um, uh, three days a week, uh, the, the, the SDRs are uh, in the office and two days a week, they are remote. Um, I think sometimes it switches, uh, but it's a, it's definitely a hybrid model. And what it's helped, I think for us, and I hate it when, when there's stereotypes that go out to generations that are younger than, than, than yeah, you agreed. and me, yeah. but there is an aspect of, of younger sellers being amongst in the bullpen and hearing, I mean, I don't know like when I was first a seller, I was at um, one of my my first sales jobs was as a, a B2B seller for um, uh, Amazon. And I remember those first days, like in the cubicle, 
and having to actually talk out loud on something I did not understand, having people that I was intimidated by around me and that energy to be able to have that, especially as a new seller. Were you the guy like in the corner? Like, Oh my gosh. And like, it's like, now you've got WeWork where I can go into like a phone booth. Well, they had them back then too. I mean, there was always that one rep who would hog the whole conference room to make his calls. It was a walk of shame, you know, telling old war stories, but there, we have seen that like the acceleration of knowledge has been a lot faster. Um, The camaraderie, I, I, I think ask, there's yeah. uh, the morale, ob- the camaraderie. Good. Yeah, it's good. obvious yeah. that the 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 loneliness that has happened because you're not traveling and you're not having events. I mean, it's it's it, everybody. It's been said over and over again, but it, it had. I think it was having real consequences on on our organization over time, especially for the seller. So that was a a big part of it. Um, the other thing that is is that we're re doing right now, which, so this is more of a work in progress is we're, we're also working on our overall intent data and lead scoring model to help feed more and more to the SDRs because everyone knows, and probably many people that are are listening to this podcast, you know, the resource constraints across software are the resources are going down. You know, there's obviously been tons of layoffs. The only thing that's not changed is uh, how much pipeline we're still asking for. Um, and so the doing more with less has been um, a thing that has made all of us have to really rethink, I would not do X, Y, Z in 2021 that I am doing now to go, I have to really look at the resources that I have and really prioritize because I still have to hit an increasingly bigger number. And so we're seeing that we're, our partnership with the SDR team is getting stronger and stronger just because um, just more constant iteration on our intent data and lead scoring, how things are getting passed over to uh, SDRs to help feed that um, a beast. But I think the 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 moving from remote to hybrid has been night and day. I mean, just for us for Lead IQ. Um, so I'm very I'm very proud of that team. They're they're doing a really good job. Wow, well, yeah, that's a, a case study in itself. I'm sure for those that specialize in trying to understand you know, the future of work and and so forth. So, uh, you know, a lot of debate on this issue, as I'm sure you know, uh, depending yep. on what aisle you, side of the aisle you're on, uh, those that I'm more productive from home. And I'll, I'll tell you straight up, I believe, and I'm, I've built my business so that I could work from home, but all my whole career was in office. I was an inside sales manager, inside sales rep. Uh, when I was, in, you know, that whole career trajectory for the most part, you know, I might've had remote team members here or there, but most of the time it was in the office in that bullpen. And I love how you phrase, you frame it in that the camaraderie, the development that you're able to take advantage of. Uh, Harvard did an article on this. And they talked about how when we went remote, Harvard Business Review, that is, when they did a, a when, they, when we went remote, we lost the most innovative tool that we had available to us, which was the office. Like the office mm-hmm. was one of the most important tools in our organizations in order to advance the ball. So uh, you're a testament to that. The intent data and the lead scoring—that's uh, an interesting piece. Now, are you when you talk about that, are you referring to like macro macro uh, macroeconomic headwinds with respect to like why we have to get this right now? Uh, is in doing more with less and these sorts of things? Is that where the more with less is coming from? It's more. Um, it's more experimentation around. Um, like, so for lead IQ, we've, 
we changed to a different type of um, sales model. So it's a more territory, a different type of territory approach than we had before. So getting marketing and I'm, I'm not to speak too much of marketing, but get getting the marketing team aligned to um, when the action should be taking place on customers, users that are coming in either anonymously. So we are identifying the company they're from or users that are engaging with our content that we know who they are lead scoring in terms of to ping our SDR team to say, Hey, this is a good time to reach out. However, there are other things that are out there like experimentation with when someone is downloading a piece of content, let's say for the first time, triggering an event for the SDR to reach out, to actually start engaging. That was a little bit more controversial because you use lead scoring, but I'm literally fresh coming off a conversation with some industry colleagues about different experimentations that they're doing to go, Hey, if, if somebody downloads a piece of content, SDR, be on the, be on the phone or reach out to them within two days and offer them additional pieces of content and be more direct. And I'm seeing some of my colleagues getting a lot more results from that. So it's really for us, it's more, I want to be in the game with our outbound selling team, not just producing inbound uh, leads that are coming in, which for lead IQ is, 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 is going quite well. um, But also helping to feed the external uh, outbound efforts that that the sales team is using. Awesome. Well, you're talking about outbound. That segues to the second thing that we talked about that's working well at Lead IQ as well. You guys are doing really well with outbound, it sounds like. And I think as a backdrop, we're seeing, and you shared with me this as well from your vantage point, that the executives, the CROs and those the like that are having success and keeping their jobs, if you will, are those that are getting outbound right. And so- I think you, the stat you shared with me is about 50% of your pipeline is generated from outbound. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's true. Well, and, yeah, and talk about that. Cause I think you, the, the piece for me is that the, you have AEs that are producing a ton of pipeline. And then from there, I think we can transition, but I think that's part of the doing more with less. And, you know, you're probably using your own technology, I would imagine to help drive yeah. some of the success. Yeah. I, and I take no, no credit for this, but the, the thing that we're, we're finding the thing that I think Lead IQ is is doing a good job at is um, I had a, a an advisor say this to me or somebody who had been using Lead IQ for a long time. They said that the thing about Lead IQ that I really love is that you make outbound work. Mm. And I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. Like, is that about the data, contact data? And she and she was like, no. She's like, yeah, obviously the data is is fickle at times. Like like sometimes you're viewed as having the best data, and sometimes you're viewed as not having the best data. And there's always this it's always this race around the data, and it's really important. But the workflow is is where Lead IQ just eating our own dog food to have the integrations between multiple systems, the synchronizing of of data. Um, but then um, with the emergence of a technology that we've been working on called Scribe, automating the outbound messaging um, and assisting sellers to more rapidly send outbound messaging with insights, with value propositions. So it's enabling our SDRs and our AEs, especially our AEs who are, obviously there's another job that they're doing. And then part of that job is prospecting. So being able to give, feed them the right contact data, um, using our own contact tracking technology to be able to track job changes and things like that. And then the ability to using our own lead IQ value props based on persona to generate rapid outbound messaging that's pulling insights about the person you're reaching out to and then our own value props. Um, it's just accelerating with quality, which is important. It's not just accelerating for you to be the next person that spams, but it's it's bringing personalization at scale um, 
not to use a corny phrase because some people are against it, but it really right, is. Right, right. You know, I interviewed a, uh, we had a webinar. Uh, we had a webinar last week. Uh, it was called uh, Scribe, Lead IQ Scribe versus ChatGPT because we've been building on that's that. Where we, that's where we, this whole thing stems from. I, that's yeah, true. That's yeah, true. Right. Yeah. And w- the user, we, you know, we brought on one of our, our number one power user. And this, this person is producing, Brilliant. you know, 1500 um, messages a month for outbound. So it's like 50 per working day. And it was just cool to see users that are know that they're they are pressured to produce more, but to be able to have something that provides them a quality tool to be able to get through the I got to find the person, you know, know the right time in which to reach out if I've got contact tracking capability and then out the door all in a workflow that makes it efficient. And that's where we really want we want to be the advocates for making outbound work for for our our customers, and certainly that includes us using it ourselves. Like right. that's what we're doing our own outbound. Well, I mean, there you go. They, you're drinking your from champagne, eating your dog food, drinking your own beer, whatever yeah. analogy you want to use. But I love that uh, you're turning your reps into cyborg reps, effectively. Right. I mean, you know, that's that's, right. and we're we're seeing that, and that's that's what it takes these days. I mean, it's being ex- it's going to be exponential, and if you don't incorporate some generative AI, you're probably going to be left behind. But you said you mentioned this personalization at scale. I'm going to unpack that just real quick because. When I work with SDR teams, one of the exercises I put them through when we do trainings is a time exercise. Like, where are you spending your time so that we can reallocate that in the right ways? And it's a learning experience, not just in time management, but also in like as a business, what, you know, uh, liability or, or burden, I should say, are we putting on our team at certain hours, whether it's internal meetings or research? And on average, what I found is that SDRs were doing at minimum five hours a week, seven hours a week on research to do their outbound. And you look at the, the outbound messages and uh, the volume, and it's you know, 30, 40, 50, maybe, maybe in a day. Yep. And rarely is, are, are they quality at the same time. So they're doing all this research, but then the quality piece isn't really there either. So there's not, it's, it's this whole thing of like quality over quantity and the time you know, that we spend on it. And so what you're saying is that you're taking that five to seven hours minimum. I mean, some are doing more than that and you're shrinking that down tremendously with the insights that you're pulling in and the custom writing because some will bring the insights in, but you're actually then formatting that into the message itself. And that's where the personalization at scale comes under attack, right? Because those that aren't big fans of that term are saying that it's fake outreach and so forth. So talk about the human agency that still remains Mm. as, as part of this workflow. I, I love that phrase you just use human agency um and gosh there, I mean if you t- if you take a step back the the gift that you know a chat GPT is given is it's giving a category to something that didn't necessarily have a category like you said there have been company there have been products that are giving you prompts mm-hmm. uh, companies that give you insights uh you have the grammar release of the world that'll you know give you recommendations on on language changes. And those are all all good, but it, it, when we were building, we started building this a little over a year ago on OpenAI. Like, and so we were very early to this, and we actually got a patent around this, the uniqueness of this technology. And what our use case was was, you know, we don't want to be, you know, good at 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 writing poetry, you know, or like we just want to be good at helping sellers write outbound messages. And that, to your point. The research is such if you if you want to be good at it, that's that's difficult. So you're asking your you're asking your sellers to be Sherlock and Shakespeare. Like be a great, be great at research, 
be great at writing. Um, we're going to find that Matt. And, oh, and by the way, be 23 years old and <laughs> be the best at that. Right. Yeah. And so, and everything you've learned up until this point has been verbose, right? Right. Yeah. Long so there is, yeah. And we've said it on this podcast. It's like, there's a cyborg element to it, but I think it, I think it is more about retaining the agency. So to, to be specific, um, we have customers who are asking their SDRs to read 10 Ks. And mm-hmm. I, you know, and if anybody's read a 10 K, one that's it kind of uh, steals the joy out of your life. You have to understand what you're reading, pull an insight from it, um, and not only that, you need to find news about the company. You need to find insights about the individual person. Like that, you're having to do a lot of investigating. So, for us, it it was essentially about three things. One was how can we massively accelerate the um, the the time that these SDRs are having to spend doing research. Like what if we could do the lion's share of that for them in seconds, right? That's interesting. Okay, cool. But number two, you need a good value proposition. And that's surprisingly, uh, I, I think you and I talked about it yep. last week a little bit. That's that's surprised me the most is that there's a lot of SDRs that actually don't know um, their company's value prop very well, or, or well, let's it call sounds it big. That's the thing, it sounds right? Big. Yeah, yeah, right. We talked about that. And it's like, whether it's an elevator pitcher, how would you tell somebody how you just articulate the value of the company on another piece of that is, do you really want young SDRs making up stuff of like what they want to say about the company versus do you want that to have brand protection and consistency uh, across the company? So so we thought it, it would be it would be very good if you could protect your brand and, and insert good value props on behalf of sellers. And then three, and this is the tricky part, the transition. Right. That's hard. So I go from I found something interesting about Derek, and a lot of times, and you know, we uh, we talked about this on this webinar last week. But you know, you have everything from like writing poetry classes um, to have help SDRs write poetry to get interest. Or you know, funny dad jokes to do. I mean, there's literally trainings on 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 creating jokes. Let's say, yeah, and I'm not yeah, saying that's yeah. bad. But then, even if I do that, the worst part is that transition to go. Why did the seller cross the road to blah 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 blah? Then, hey, by the way, are you crossing the road? Exactly, that hard, you know, <laughs> hard, <laughs> yeah, hard cut over. Um, and so anyway, so what we've been building is we've already got the workflow, we've already got the data. Um, we've got the integration, but then for the seller, we're able to literally read 10 Ks, pull content from the news, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, personal content that's public domain, stuff about the company. And we're able to recommend three emails in seconds with recommended subject line, full body messages, where it has the insight, the transition, and the full value prop for the the seller to be able to quickly look and again retaining agency that you can go in and take 20 seconds to you know uh to to edit and and make sure and you that should that, that, i mean that should all the assurance yeah. step should be hard-coded into every workflow by all means to ensure that we're not just automating this stuff and turning into those spam bots you talked about but could someone do that with your tool could they turk take a trade.io or some sort of you know tool that you know that's looking at triggers and then saying okay now automatically send or can or does it already built in where you could just you know um allow it to send what it produces i think so the answer is no like we don't we don't want to do that good um uh i i spiritually don't believe in that at all (laughs) right i think there are those that would say yeah if you could 
Um, well, there's going to be those that try and do this. There's no doubt there's going to be a ton of that. 100%. And we're going to see that. So trying to protect ourselves from being in that yeah. lane and echoing that problem. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like it's, it's, it would, it is scary for some out there to go, is my job going to be replaced? Cause you can just automate. Um, and what, I mean, if you think about it, there is going to come a day down the road where if, if everyone, if a lot of people are able to do more personalization and more, more of this generating of content, which is obviously happening, going to happen, you still have to deal with, um, are you presenting the hero correctly? Are you, are you presenting the problem correctly? And are you being the guide? Like there, there is the human agency piece. You, you, you instill that framework within the individual and they are auditing for that before it goes out. Right. Right. Because if, if people, people are seller, buyers actually are going to get more suspicious if they're, you know, suspecting that, you know, there's a lot of messages. I don't know if a human even. Well, I imagine email filters are going to be able to sniff this stuff out because we already have those tools that are reverse engineering stuff that's written by AI. So it's, that's the, we want to be really specific. I mean, one of the things we found with um, ChatGPT, which is, is a real downfall, I think for sellers is that it is really good at syntax and it's really good at invention, um, but it's also has no problem making up things. And we saw a lot of examples of that. And so for us, we want to protect um, the company's brand, right? We don't want to go, I think this would be cool if you did this. And so we'll make it up and it looks good and it sounds great, but it's utterly not true. Right. Um, there's there's lots of layers to this, but at the end of the day, we want to speed up, especially the research in the transition. And then you have multiple value propositions and you, that, that your company is responsible for. We're not making up your value proposition. That's your job. And we can help you do that. Right. Um, and it's, and it's not a tremendous amount of work to do that uh, at all, but um, yeah, I'm very excited about it. It's, it's really, it's really cool to see um, this idea of how we can be the advocate for these SDRs who do a job that is, uh, I came from the CX world, like the customer service world. And so contact center agents, it was the same type of thing. It's a, it is many times an entry level job to propel you into something that you want to go to and advocating for these people who do a very difficult job by equipping them to do what they're actually good at versus making them be a great researcher and a great writer at 23 years old to talk about your brand messaging. If we can assist you in a real substantive way, like you said, cutting that five hours a week or more that we see down to a very uh, uh, minimal amount of time that you have to do on some of those tasks. It's really cool. And, and the sellers- Well, it goes away from the research and it put, repurpose that time into crafting and the human agency element, making sure that the stuff that's produced is quality and, and at scale. So right now you have a standalone option where if I'm an SDR and my organization doesn't have lead IQ, I could do, I could- take advantage of this on my own, which is uh, an important call out there for our audience. Um, but if I do have a lead IQ account and I wanted to start using this, is this a bolt on that I would you know, accrue more, I would imagine accrue additional costs. Is it comparable? I mean, you don't tell us how much it costs, but if I had 50 sellers using lead IQ right now, and I'm thinking about turning this on, what does that look like? I think you have an onboarding team that can help with the value prop setup and, and so forth, but yep. talk about how people action this today. Yeah. The easiest way to action it is if you are not currently a lead IQ customer and you want to just consume scribe to just play with the generative AI, we have a freemium version. I think we're very generous. We give, I think 40, 40 credits a month that you get as part of the free version, which is essentially will give you 40 instances where you can produce three messages to send out. 
Um, and that's, uh, uh, perpetual. So you can sign up for that. You can go to scribe.leadiq.com sign up there for that. If you're an existing customer, uh, the easiest way right now is just to reach out to your, your CSM and, and talk to them. We are uh, like over time as we're, uh, as we're adding more capabilities to lead IQ, we are going to be offering more of a universal credit model, uh, versus right now, you have credits for you know the for Scribe versus our our core Lead IQ uh, uh, product. So I think the easiest thing would just be to, be to uh, have the have the the seller or the sales admin and the and the leader reach out to uh, Lead IQ through the your CSM. And we um, it is an integrated part of our platform. To answer your question though, like you you can consume our our uh, contact tracking capabilities, um, our uh, Scribe certainly, and then the what, what was known formally as Prospector, but just really the core Lead IQ identifying component of that. But yeah, we're very excited. We're very much about a unified platform, but we also see that there are uh, customers who really just want to produce um, messages and try to get better at that. So we're, it's an, it's an experiment for lead IQ to, to offer a standalone uh, option that you can upgrade to a paid version of scribe as well. You've been listening to the sales consultant podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple podcast and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert, or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the sales consultant podcast.